This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. All right, I'm going to turn the page here a bit, and I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to get there in a moment as I begin our second uh, message in the series, Seek the Light. But I want to set it up a little bit with a couple thoughts. This week, as a pastor, I observed what was going on both nationally and on social media and in text messages to me and in the conversations of people that I bounced into throughout the week. And one of the things that I noticed is, is that as things have come to light and there are more and more conflicts taking place, it isn't just happening in Washington, D.C. It's actually happening in our neighborhoods. It's happening between family members. It's happening between neighbors and friendships. And many of us, most of us, are concerned for God's truth, for what God would want to do. But if we're to be honest, we've been pulled into a mudslinging match, and the mud's on us. There are parts of the conversations going on that we can't avoid, that we can't push away from or just be a critic and point the finger any longer. We need some light from heaven. We need Jesus to show us, how do I deal with this? And I want you to know that one of Jesus' greatest concerns is that his church not lose its love for each other. That we are, how will they know that we are Christians? By our love for each other. So we can't lose our love. But I think when fear is on the rise and concerns are on the rise, guess what goes out the door or lowers a bit? The love for each other. And I believe that Jesus can show us how to walk through seasons of time like this, not avoiding the, concert, the, the conversation totally, but leaning into what the truth of heaven is during this story. And I want you to see in Jesus' story how he did it. Because listen, when we look at the face of Jesus, he is our pathway. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And then in John chapter 12, Jesus said, as I read from this last week, I have come as light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I believe that if we look to Jesus as our model, he can show us our way through. Look at Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 1. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in or into the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. And then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I'll give it all to you if you worship me. And Jesus replied, 
The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. And then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. I want to give you a few thoughts on following Jesus in the wilderness. That's the title of my message, Jesus in the Wilderness. How can we follow him? First thought is this. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. I don't want you to miss this. The wilderness can be a metaphor for uncertainty in an unknown place, territory that you're not familiar with, noises that you don't ordinarily hear, loneliness as a feeling in your heart. When it gets dark, it's very dark at night. And Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. It says that he battled the enemy. And you have to remember, he didn't just wander into it. He was led into it. The Spirit will lead you and me into seasons and times of wilderness experiences. It does happen. Or at least he allows us to go into it. You're like, why am I going through this? Why does it seem like an extended period of time of uncertainty? I don't like how this feels. But I want you to remember, if the Spirit led you in, the Spirit can lead you out. Come on, somebody. Because you got to remember who brought you here and got you here in the first place. It was God that birthed you. It was God that brought you to this place. And so the wilderness is not a place that you need to fear. It's a place that perhaps you were led to be in. You might be in the wilderness right now, confused or angry or alone. And there are voices inviting or tempting you to conversations, baiting you to fix it yourself or join their crowd. How many have gotten a few of those things on social media? Opinions from people that they want you to agree with. And they want you to fix it or join your crowd. And the wilderness can be a perfect place for God to kind of define what is him and what isn't. In this season of time, there's good things that can come out of it. Jesus followed the Spirit into the darkness because he would face that tempting and that mental warfare for a purpose. And the battle that you're facing is for a purpose. You can win it if you follow Jesus' way. Now, what did Jesus do in the wilderness? What was it that Jesus did that we can follow? Well, he leaned into God's purposes, for one. But he fasted. It means he didn't eat food. Verse 2 says, Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. How many of you would be hungry after 40 days of not eating, right? But what he was doing was Jesus himself, the perfect son of God, was fully human. He battled things just like you and me. But as he went into the wilderness, led by the Spirit, he did not eat, okay? That's the biblical pattern of fasting. Biblical fasting is denying the natural inclinations and desires, your physical body, other things, so that you can hear God better. Fasting is not a spiritual diet to lose weight. Come on. There's other ways to do that. 
Fasting is not even necessarily to try to make God hear us better. Fasting is opening our ears up so, and unmuting God and muting the world around us. It's the capacity to lean into what God is saying to us. And before stepping into ministry actions, Jesus dealt with his own internal concerns. He was dealing with what was going on in his own heart. I want you to consider that in seasons of wilderness, the, the, the natural inclination is to point out what other people's hearts are doing. To think about this group of people or that group of people that are right or are wrong. We're really good at being critics in America at this season in 2021. Point out everyone else's failures. But when you point the finger, you still got three pointing back at you. The reality is, is that we need to look inwardly first. Now, Jesus had not sinned, but he might have had desires to do certain things. He might have had all kinds of need. The future was perhaps on his mind and the thousands of people that needed to be touched, healed, or hear his good news. He might have had us on his mind. There's a lot of information going on inside. And Jesus needed to calm himself so that when he came out of the wilderness, all of that noise would not detour him from the purposes God the Father had for him. And you and I, when we go into seasons of the wilderness, we need to examine our own hearts. How many ministries have failed on the outside and the external because a pastor or a preacher didn't deal with the internal? I'm not avoiding the scandals of my, the clergydom that I'm a part of. We all have to deal with internal. Not just politicians, not just somebody on the other side of the planet, but we need to deal with our own stuff. Turn to the person next to you and say, excuse me, I'm dealing with my own stuff. <laughs> I'm dealing with it. What do you do when you're under pressure? You find out what's in the cup when it gets tipped over. And Jesus dealt with that. He was dealing with the internal. And there's no band out in the wilderness. I love what John said. There's just no worship team out there. And you know, you can't have all the outer supports when you're in the wilderness. That's okay. Because when you come out of the wilderness, you don't need outer support. Because you got the Father's approval on your life. Come on, somebody. You can make it. Now, he dealt with the enemy as well. And the enemy wasn't who we think it is. He was dealing with the enemy. As Paul says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Jesus is dealing with a force, the enemy, the devil, and sometimes when we're facing stuff and there's a crowd around us, or there's people around us, and we're not in the wilderness, we misidentify those people as our enemy. We're not battling against flesh and blood people. We're battling against principalities in high places. There's a battle going on, friends. And we need to remember it's not the people, it's above the people. Come on, somebody. And Jesus battles those things. So what did the devil tempt Jesus with? Well, first he attacked Jesus' identity. Look at verse 3. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... 
tell this stone to become a loaf of bread if you are the son of God. He was getting, trying to get Jesus to show off or prove it. And he didn't have anything to prove. If you're going to do it, then, then call it, you know, just show off. And I want you to know if the devil will go at Jesus' identity, he'll go after yours too. And sometimes when we're insecure, we're tempted to show off. We're tempted to make people think we're good enough, cute enough, rich enough, that we got enough stuff, that we're smart, that we know what we're talking about. And the enemy wants us to show off because when we're showing off, we're not act, we're acting is what we're doing. We're, we're, we're presenting something as proof that we're good enough. You don't need proof that you're good enough when you're a child of God. You were bought with a price. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for all of your sins. You weren't worthy, I'm not worthy. But because Jesus went all the way at the cross, he died and he rose again, I have hope. He's called me into his family. I'm a son, you're a daughter of heaven. When you know your identity, you don't have to prove it to anybody. I spent years as a youth pastor watching kids who wanted to prove themselves to somebody else. And some of them gave their bodies up and they didn't need to. And some of them tried to be cool enough and they started drinking like their friends were so they could be good enough. And I want you to know actions come out of that. When you are secure in who you are, you don't need to prove yourself to anybody. It gets you in trouble. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to take that next step, and then all of a sudden you're locked into some addiction that controls your life. Or you're using people in your relationships, or you feel like you're a fraud. You don't need to be a fraud when there's truth on the innermost parts. Come on, somebody. See, the devil attacks your identity, and Jesus' response to that was, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. In other words, I get my food from the Father. I don't get it from you. And I don't need to prove it to you. Second thing that the, the devil did is he attacked Jesus' trust or worship in God. He was going after his worship. The devil, it says in verse 5, took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. See, really what the enemy wanted to do is he wanted Jesus to worship him. How stupid was that? He's talking Jesus. Jesus, the creator of the world. That demons tremble at his name, right? But when you're in the wilderness and you haven't eaten for 40 days and you're hungry and you're a little bit confused. Sometimes not everything makes sense. They call it the fog of war. You ever heard of that? And sometimes right isn't right, but it seems right in the moment. And where, really what the enemy will do is he'll try to take the fog and get you to forget where your source is. Who you worship. You're only to worship the Lord your God and him only. Well, let me tell you where this plays out in a week like this. In a week like this, when news takes place, and there's all kinds of opinions, and all kinds of people pointing the finger at each other, 
And by the way, most of us weren't even there. But we want to call at this call out generation and cancel culture that we're in. We're canceling everybody. We're, we're reading people's arguments. Our heart rate is going up the more we read. The blood pressure is going up. We're getting angry. We can't love when we're in anger. So it spills out into our relationships with our kids, our spouses, and our friends. And now we're, why? Because we're so focused on the information, scrolling, going back to the same thing, hearing the same things over and over and over again. Well, really what's happening is our attention is going to something other than God with it. And your attention is your worship. See, the enemy wants you to be distracted, consumed. But listen, nobody is going to change the human heart like Jesus. The problem we have in America is called sin. Straight up. It's not Republican or Democrat. It's not conservative or liberal. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we need to look inwardly. We need a Savior to get us out of it. We need him to transform the way we think. And if we stop looking his direction and our attention goes somewhere else, we're facing the same temptation that Jesus did in the wilderness. And he stopped in the middle of it and went, Paul, wait a second. No, no, no. I worship the Lord my God and him only. And him only. So when you're confused and you lost your peace during the week, and God has sent you to live in the world, you go to work, you hang with people, you see people at restaurants, or wherever you are in the grocery store, because the restaurants open back up this week. Hallelujah. Wherever it is that you go, you're going to bounce into conversations. If you go on our 21 days of prayer and fasting and you get rid of social media for three weeks, you won't have to worry about this. All the rest of you, you're going to be looking at stuff. You're going to be watching TV. You're going to be hearing everywhere you go. And if you find your heart rate going up and you find the tenseness going up, if you find fear rising in your heart, you need to stop worshiping that thing and turn and worship Jesus. It's the moment that you have. Don't take the bait, baby. Don't take the bait. The third thing that the devil did is he tempted Jesus with an easier way by using God. In other words, he wanted to use God's words against him, okay? He says, if you are the son of God, jump off this high place. For the scriptures say, and this is the devil quoting it in verse 10, he's quoting the scripture. This is bizarre. He says, the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. He's quoting from Psalm 91. And he's, he's quoting this to him. And Jesus answers back with the word. His response was, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Now listen, in this day and age, there are lots of people using scriptures. There's lots of people using scriptures, and they can take one isolated scripture and project it over a whole bunch of other things. But all scripture needs to be measured against the rest of scripture. You need to think and know the word of God and, and not just listen to something. Listen, there are Christian people out there in the industry of Christendom who've got their podcasts, and they've got their following for live Facebook every day, prophets that say, and listen, I'm not saying every prophet's wrong, but I'm saying there's a whole lot of prophets wrong right now. 
who are quoting various scriptures to back up what they're telling you to do when you need to go back to the word of God yourself, hear the presence of God speak to your heart and measure it against the word so that the devil doesn't take you out. When you find yourself, I'm starting to preach up on you now. When you find yourself in a place where you are so consumed with end time prophecy and what people think this week meant and a president, you are so consumed with that that you stop loving your neighbor, that you stop taking care of the widow and the orphan, that you stop doing the justice that God has called you to do in your own home, you have begun to believe a lie. You've begun to take the bait that the enemy wants to give you. Am I saying that prophets don't have a voice in nowadays? No, 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 I'm not saying that. But I'm saying every prophet, including a preacher on Sunday morning like me, you better measure what I say against the word of God. Because if you don't and you're just taking it, you could be misled into something that God hasn't intended for you. Then it says, the devil left him. Come on, somebody. So he went through the testing, and this is the good news. There is always an other side to the wilderness. There is always an other side to the wilderness. The other side is breakthrough and purpose and power. The other side is clarity and strength and facing challenges and suffering. By the way, Jesus didn't just go through fun times. This wilderness prepared him for difficult times. He would go to the cross. He would face rejection. The wilderness prepared him for suffering. Did you know that sometimes when a Christian goes through suffering that God has led them into, it's not for ourselves. It's for the power of the light of the gospel to be released through our lives to the world around us that's in darkness. You can read Hebrews 11. You can see all of the heroes of faith, some of which who died, and the Spirit led them through that process. But because they had gone through the wilderness of their own story and the spirit had led them, they had the strength in the middle of difficulty that they were not going to bow their knee to the enemy all the way to the end. And heaven welcomed them home. Come on. That's the truth. On the other side, we don't know. It's not going to all be up and to the right, everything being perfect. What it does mean is we are going to have the strength to handle any and every circumstance. The other side is joy. Jesus, in Hebrews, it says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. There is joy ahead of you if you are in the wilderness. With Jesus, the wilderness is not the end. Verse 14, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. And Jesus leaves the wilderness with light for the world. Listen, friends. If you want your family, your city, our city, our nation to have light, then you have to follow Jesus into the wilderness. Follow him into the wilderness. I'm calling our church to follow Jesus into the wilderness for the next 21 days of prayer and fasting. To listen to the word daily. So we talked about last week, reading through the Bible in one year app or your own plan. But battle Satan, battle the devil with the word of God. Know it, pray the word, and then determine to fast through the next 21 days beginning tomorrow. And that, I'm, I'm, you can have different types of fasting. Biblically, it always involves food in some way. So maybe you need 
to give up a meal every day. Or maybe you give up a certain favorite thing that you've done in the past, on a different facet I've been on, gave up coffee. Um, you might give up Diet Coke. Yo, I didn't hear amen in the house to that one. Uh, you might give, you might have to give up whatever it is you have to give up. You can do that. You can do a Daniel fast where you give up a lot of things and you just eat fruits and vegetables. Um, or you could give up food. Now, I... I want to encourage you, if you've not fasted before, um, to prepare for the fast. Read up on it so that you do it in a healthy way. Drink water every single day. Here's the point. My point is, as we go into the wilderness, let's do what Jesus did. Let's deal with our own internal side of things. Lord, shine your light on my heart. If there be any racism in me, take it out. If there be anything in me that is sinful, take it out. Lord, burn into me your righteousness, your justice, your life, your hope. Your inspiration, Lord, help see into me. Lord, Lord, do that in me. And then, then when I come out of the wilderness, maybe, maybe the light will shine through me to the world around me. It's not just about praying for the world around me. It's about letting God do his thing in us. And then we can seek the light for our families, for our city, and for our nation. And to pray now more than ever before. Seek first is this Wednesday. It's our prayer and worship service. It's on Wednesday night. I encourage every one of you to come. If you can't, join us online. Take some time to pray. See into me, Lord. As we go into our prayer and fasting, let God do what only he can do. And today, we're going to participate in communion. You can take your communion cups out. One of the things that Jesus did is he, he assembled a very diverse group of disciples, polar opposites on his team. He had the zealot and he had the tax collector. He had wealthy people and he had people that weren't. Jesus' team, he even had women on the team, which was very unusual during those times for women. So Jesus thought different. One of the things that I think Jesus had in mind when he said, do this in remembrance of me, this communion practice we call now, is I think he had in mind people from every walk of life coming in to what he called and when he quoted from Isaiah, that this would be a house of prayer for all nations. Every skin color, language group, in his house. Polar opposites, political views. All coming together. And when they come together, he does a miracle in us. And if there's a miracle in us, there'll be a miracle out there for the world to see. If all they see us do is point the fingers at them, nobody's going to change. But if they see us changing, come on, somebody. That's a powerful visual example of how the world needs to change. And Jesus, he took the cup and, uh, and he took the bread and he paralleled those things with his life. And... Uh, he wanted his disciples 2,000 years, every place on the planet, when they gathered together to remember him. That when things got crazy, and by the way, our political issues and the things going on in America today are not new. It's these kind of things have been happening in nations and countries around the world for decades, centuries, and millennia. Men's hearts are evil. These things happen. But what he wanted was, is he wanted at any stage of the journey... For us to come back and go, you know what? I, 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 need, I need Jesus' love. I need to focus in on Jesus. 
And he wanted us to focus back to this one moment of his death and his resurrection on the cross and from the cross. And he, we wanted to, we wanted, he wanted us to be filled with his love and with his light. So today, as we pause before we receive communion together, I want us to focus in on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. One more time, sing that. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. If you're not a follower of Jesus, or you once were and you walked away, you could know Jesus right now. So before we take communion, I want to give an invitation. You need to turn in your heart and give your life over to, to Jesus. Believe that Jesus is the one and only Son of God who came to the earth died on a cross for our sin and rose from the dead, you put your faith and trust in him, you can do that right now. In fact, just close your eyes wherever you're at and you're here with us today or you're joining us online and you need to give your life to Jesus or you need to come back. Before we move on with communion, I want, I want to give you an opportunity. If that's you, I want you to just pray this prayer out loud and I believe that Jesus will hear you. I'll give you words to pray. You can repeat after me and everybody else. You can join right in. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth, died on the cross for my sin, and then you rose from the dead. Today, I surrender to you. I ask you to take over and be my leader and be my light. I surrender all to you. I'm yours for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. When you pray that prayer, I just believe you're in. And you can actually participate in communion if you're a believer now and you just prayed that prayer. And uh, if you pray that prayer, by the way, if you have a phone, you can just text the word Emmanuel to 313131. You could do it even right now. If you need to, you just gave your life to Jesus, I'll give you the next steps in following Jesus real quick. But I want to encourage you to stay on the journey. Keep following Jesus. All right, everybody else will stand up today. As we participate in communion, you've got a, a cup in your hand, bread in your hand. Same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Jesus alone can take broken things and put them back together again. He can take a marriage and put it back together again. He can take people that are distracted and lost their love for one another and put them back together again. How many know he can put a broken country back together again? 
Through Jesus, anything is possible. Today, he also puts broken bodies back together again. By his stripes, we're healed. If you need physical healing in your body, I want you to trust in it even now. In fact, if you need healing in your body, just lift up your hand to the Lord right now. Lord, we thank you today as we participate and receive the broken body of Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name that, Lord, that you would take broken things and put them back together again. Heal the sick. Mend hearts. Lord, do in us, Lord, what only you can do, the miracle of the broken body of Jesus. Let it be applied to our lives even today. Lord, heal our nation. Heal our hearts. Heal our city. Lord, change us. We don't want just other people to be changed. We want to change. And so we ask, God, that you would do it in us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, let us eat. Thank you, Lord. Same night, Jesus took the cup. I always do this the same time as everybody else. So it's, it's hard for me to open a coffee creamer cup too, just like some of you. If you need help, you can always ask somebody to help you. I'm okay right now. I got help. But Jesus also took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out or spilled out for you. The amazing thing about the blood of Jesus is it's the only thing that actually conquers sin. So if sin isn't the source of all the challenges we face worldwide, how many know the blood of Jesus is the only solution? The blood of Jesus comes and it sends demons reeling. It's more powerful than any force that was or is to come. The blood of Jesus is something we lean into and it brings light into darkness. And today, if you have a need whatsoever in your mind or your body or your emotions, that you need Jesus' blood to come in and conquer and restore and bring life. I want you to lift your hand to him even now. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you that, Lord, you conquered it all. That when you died on the cross, Lord, and your, your, your blood hit the ground, the cursed ground, Lord, you took those things which were cursed and you made them whole. And, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that today there is nobody that is, Lord, un, un, unreachable by you, but that you're able, Lord, to set the sinner free. Lord, you to uh, let the prisoner go. Lord, to bring in life and hope in the middle of the most difficult circumstances, to bring peace, true peace, to the mind and the heart. And I pray that by the blood of Jesus that the church would exemplify the peace of heaven in our souls, that we would live knowing that you are with us and the power working wonderful working power of the blood of the lamb would lord be released in our lives we thank you today in jesus name let us drink thank you for listening to emmanuel today to learn more about the many ministry opportunities we have throughout the week be sure to check out emmanuelcc.org